Oh yeah, here we go. Hi. What a great time of worship. Hasn't that been good? Have you enjoyed that? You've just enjoyed eating uh, ice cream, as it were, just enjoying the goodness of God, declaring the good things of God. Do you remember when we, we couldn't do that quite so readily? Do you remember that time not so long ago where uh, we couldn't gather here in the way that we can today, and then we had kind of chairs spaced out in different places, and I just, it just gives you a, a fresh appreciation for worshipping the Lord in the, in, together in this context, God, God's family, others kind of welcome, joining in with us. Just been a special time so far this morning. It's been good to be here. I trust you've enjoyed it too. Well, we're going to continue in this exciting and encouraging account of the early church exploding into existence. We're reading through the book of Acts. We've got to chapter 17. Jesus has ascended into heaven the disciples have been left kind of visibly open-mouthed that they've seen him rise up there. But then wonderfully, as they've gathered together, the Holy Spirit has come. We've heard about that last week and been reminded this morning, the Spirit of God coming, the presence of God coming like a, a surging river that swept them out of their locked room and onto the streets with this life-changing message. And so far, they've been swept up from Jerusalem to Antioch, done a little map for you, and know that we can uh, have a look at that. They kind of had a little kind of sortie over into to Cyprus, um, and now they're kind of, and they're kind of a little, little bit around uh, in their kind of, uh, Paul's been around, was it south east, is that right? Southeast, kind of Turkey over there, but now kind of pressing through Turkey and around the Aegean Sea, and they've got to Athens, and that's where we're picking up the story. Paul has left his friends, Timothy and Silas, in Berea, and uh, he's gone ahead. So that's where we are picking up in chapter 17, verse 16. So while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the temple, uh, in the marketplace called the Agora, Day by day with those who happened to be there, he's reasoning with them. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So we heard even this morning as we started to go, the importance of the resurrection. This was, this was Paul's message, proclaiming Jesus in the resurrection. And so they took him and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, um, where they said to him, may we know more of um, what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All Athenians, uh, Luke records a little kind of note um, the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. But as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, 
Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Since uh, therefore we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, and a woman named Damaris, uh, and a number of others. So, so wonderful account there. Um, actually, can we move on to the next slide? I've got a few pictures just to kind of uh, put us there in the, in the setting there in, in Greece. Paul was speaking to them about an unknown God, and we're going to focus on that expression, the unknown God. This altar that was there in the city to an unknown God. And uh, Paul was on this uh, place called the Areopagus, um, which uh, you can see in that picture there. It's uh, also called Mars Hill. And I'm told that little plaque, you see that little black kind of plaque thing there? I think that's part of Paul's speech. So people later on have kind of put a, a plaque up there as what Paul might have, well, what Paul did say when he was there, when he was reasoning with them. So the, the Areopagus was, well, it was, a, it was a hill, but it was also a collection of uh, Greek thinkers and leaders who would gather together kind of traditionally on that hill, and they would talk about important things and discuss various matters on this hill, this kind of Mars hill, Mars being the, the god of war, Ares is the god of war. The Areopagus literally means um, Ares hill. Uh, and so Ares, um, known by the Romans as Mars, um, you can think of Holt's planets, you know, Mars, kind of uh, god of war um, uh, music there. So that's where, that's where Paul was talking about these things. Ares, of course, being the god of, uh, well, I say of course, he might not, might not know. I didn't know until I looked it up. Uh, the god of war, um, he was supposed to be, I mean, all of this is kind of, um, um, to, be, to be frank, it didn't happen. But, um, so he was thought to be tried on this hill by the other gods. He was uh, tried for the merge of, of uh, Sidon's son. I'm sure you know, you're familiar with Sidon. Um, he was the, uh, thought to be the Greek god of the sea and, uh, and storms and earthquakes and so on. So uh, this Ares, this god, was uh, tried there. Now near Mars Hill, overlooking Athens, was the, uh, the Parthenon, that kind of amazing... I feel a bit like a, a tourist guide here at the moment. I hope you're sticking with me. We're going somewhere with this. This is kind of, we're going to get somewhere. We're going to press through the, uh, the marble to, to, to some, some, some things that are really, really important. But uh, so, yeah, setting aside the amazing architecture of that, of that thing, it was this temple to another god. It was kind of on a, again, a, a bigger rock overlooking Athens. It was a temple, of course, of Athena, 
the goddess of wisdom and warfare and ancient protector of cities like Athens. And so as you walked about Athens, there you'd see this massive temple there up on the city, a huge, impressive site. And inside the temple, there was, I think it was like an 11-meter tall gold and ivory statue of Athena there, really impressive. And the, 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 the people in Athens would be looking up to that and de- deriving, I guess, some kind of reassurance that she was looking over and protecting them. Um, the, the, uh, the, I think it's the shrine or the temple of Ares, the god of war, was actually down in the, the marketplace. And Paul would be walking around these places. There would be temples and shrines all over the place. So there would have been Ares. There would have been something to, to Zeus, I'm sure. Uh, Zeus, the kind of sky god of thunder, thought to be the father of all the gods. And, uh, except he himself uh, was the child of some other gods. And he had some brothers and a sister who I think he uh, supposed to have married. It's like a soap opera as you read about these gods and the things that they did. Um, Hades, the god of the underworld. Hera was Zeus, Zeus's wife it's, and also thought to be the god of women and marriage and family. There's another god, um, Hephaestus, which uh, there's the temple there. At the end, again, that would have been in Athens. Paul walking around full of these kind of temples and this was the god of metalworking and craftsmanship, of bringing things into, into being with metal and so on. Nearby, in the northwest corner of the Agora, was a shrine to uh, his wife, Aphrodite, you'll probably be familiar with, goddess of love and beauty and passion and pleasure. Uh, Demeter was the goddess of the harvest and agriculture. Apollo was the, goddess, was the god of archery, music, poetry, healing, light. I mean, he had quite a, quite a list of things that he'd... Uh, kind of got attributed to him, and various other things, I think, that would probably do for him. And Artemis, the goddess of the hunt, the wilderness, the moon, chastity, protector of young girls. Dionysus, the god of wine, fertility, theatre, religious ecstasy. All these massive, impressive buildings all over the place. I mean, this doesn't really give us much of an idea of what it was like. This is kind of hundreds of years later where they crumbled, and all the color has been taken out of it. But these were, these were vibrant, impressive, all over the place in Athens as Paul walked around. You couldn't miss these things right in the heart of the city. And it's kind of hard to relate to at first. And we have to kind of think our, our minds back and imagine what it would have been like. And it's difficult to relate to hundreds of years ago. It's difficult to relate perhaps to temples and gods and goddesses and all the kind of stories that surround them. But actually underneath it is something which is much more familiar. If you think about what the, the gods personified, if you think about the things that were connected with them, the temples were a, a visual expression of the things that mattered to the people of Athens. And they would actually go and worship and, um, uh, and visit these places. It was an expression that the things that the gods stood for mattered to them. As I say, they'd look up to the Parthenon, and they'd, they'd know that, they'd believe that someone there was perhaps going to help them and look after their cities. Dangerous times. You know, people could come along and take over your city. We have the same things today. If you think about, if we're going to move on to the next slide. If you take away the fact that these are temples, these are the things that are important to us today or to many, many of us today. All these sorts of things, they haven't gone away as the temples have crumbled and as we kind of dismiss these gods as kind of just make-believe. These things are still there and we're still building our lives around these things and 
uh, in different ways, serving them. Um, these are things that take our time, our energy. Where perhaps you look to some of these things when you're feeling low. Perhaps when you're, you're looking to the future, you're thinking about some of these and investing your time and your energy into some of these things. And that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's good to think about what we're building our lives on. We can move to the next one. What is your life? This, I mean, probably doesn't look, a little, look much like this, but just in, what is your life like? If your life was to be a city like Athens and someone was to walk around it, what would they see? What would be the big buildings, the different components of your life that they would see? How big are they? How much space do they take up in your heart? What are the things that are really important to you? Often good things that are important. Well, the key question is, what is of most importance? What is the foundation of all of those things? What's at the bottom there? What is everything built upon? What if it were to be taken away? Would life just crumble into nothing? What is the support? What is the, all these things, that all these gods that they worship, they were, in a sense, little g-gods. They were important to them. And that's, and that's totally understandable that these things were important to them. But the real question is, is is there a big G God? What is the big foundation? What is the one thing that all these things are built upon? When good things become God things, they become idols. So uh, Paul is in Athens. He's looking around and he's seeing all these gods, little G gods and all these temples. And he's seeing that they're really religious. And really, just all he's saying is these things matter to you. They're important to you. You're building your lives and with bricks and mortar even, uh, showing that these things are important. And yet they knew that there was something missing. They knew that that wasn't it. That wasn't the whole of life. There must be something more. I wonder if you've ever asked that yourself. I wonder if you've ever thought there's something is missing. There's all these components of my life, and maybe they're all in place, and maybe they're fixed, and you're really pleased by the way things are going. But have you had that thought? Is there, there must be more than this. They knew something was missing. They knew these gods, these things that they worshipped, could not be the deepest foundation of all. And they actually had a reminder of that in this altar to an unknown god. Paul came across, he saw this altar to an unknown God. I don't know what it was, maybe a stone altar, and it had this engraving on it, to an unknown God. And it's likely that Paul may have known something of the history of this altar because he, he, he wrote to Titus um, about a, a, a prophet, a Cretan prophet, and something this prophet had said. This guy was called Epimendes. And this, this guy, you may probably remember it from Titus 1, 12, 12 to 13, or around that kind of area. This guy, Epimendius, had said, all Cretans are liars. Now, he was, a, he was a Cretan himself, hence, you know, your mind can go off into uh, this kind of philosophical paradox. But he had, he had said, even one of their own prophets had said, one of the Cretans themselves, all Cretans are liars. So Paul quoted, he would have known this guy. He would have known this guy called Epimendius, and there was a story told about him. I don't know if it's a true story, but it would have been in the cultural kind of history and their recollection that there was a time hundreds of years ago, even when Paul was there, hundreds of years before that, there was a plague on the city of Athens. And they started sacrificing to all the gods that they knew of, maybe to, I don't know, to Zeus and to the other ones. And they sacrificed and sacrificed and sacrificed. And the plague got worse and worse, and more and more people began to die. And they're looking around, what can we do? We've done everything that we can do. 
And so they sent for this guy. And they, they said, would you come and help us, Epimendius? Would you come and tell us what we should do? And the story goes that he said, he got some, he said, let's get some sheep and let's send them out into the hills. And they probably kind of made sure they were hungry sheep because sheep don't tend to sit down um, when they're hungry. They tend to, to eat. So perhaps he sent all these hungry sheep off. And he said, wherever a sheep actually lies down, where it stops eating and lies down, build an altar there to an unknown God. Because it's a sign to you that there is a God somewhere who will accept the sacrifice of that sheep and who will perhaps lift the plague off the city. And so they sent these sheep out. And would you believe some of them did begin to sit down, even though they must have been quite hungry. So they thought, this is, this is a sign for us. And so they built an altar there, these massive stone altars, and they, uh, uh, they sacrificed the sheep on them. And amazingly, so the story goes, the plague lifted. And so they put these altars, they left them there. And although I think in the original account of it, the historical account of these things, or the accounts that we have, they don't say they wrote on the altar. Subsequent historians do talk about these, these altars to an unknown God, and Paul here records it for us. An altar to an unknown God. There was something more. They tried everything, all the things that they knew about, and they knew there was something more. And this guy comes along and says, "Just there's, there's something beyond what you know. There's, there's something beyond what you're aware of. There's something else. There's a bigger deal going on. And th that you will find help there. And so they sacrificed these sheep to an unknown God. And these altars still stood there as a testimony to the fact that there was something more. Though their lives were filled with these temples to the gods that they knew, there was something beyond it. They, they knew there was something beyond those things. And I wonder if you knew you know that as well. There's something beyond what you know. There's more to life. And they had these markers that there was more to life. We might call them signals of transcendence, where they're just a pointer that, to see through what we see to something else. There's something behind what we can see. I wonder if you've had those experiences. I wonder, wonder if you've ever thought to yourself, there's something more here. That what I see is actually pointing me to something beyond it. Maybe you've thought about, where, ask the biggest question, where did this all come from? Where, we, we call it the Big Bang, don't we? But we don't know, that doesn't answer the question. The question still remains, where does it all come from? Why did it come into being? Some people try and dismiss the why questions, but they're the most important of all. Where did this come from and why did it come into being? Look at everything around us. It is a, it's a marker for something beyond itself. It's a, we know, the more we know about this, the more, we kind of, the more important the question becomes, why is it here and where did it come from? Some people get stuck and they can't see through what they know to what they don't know. This marker to an unknown God, this altar to an unknown God was a pointer beyond what they knew. Yes, it couched in the, the terminology that they knew, but it was reaching for something else. And as we look around, many people have had that moment of epiphany and said, where does this come from? There must be more than this, more than molecules, more than, more than just what I can see. Have you had that moment? Why is there something rather than nothing? Perhaps it's beauty. Perhaps you've looked at something and it's been so... Or I'm talking about architecture. Maybe it's, not, maybe it's not architecture for you. Maybe it's something else. G.K. Chesterton, uh, he, he, he records looking down and being stopped in his tracks by a dandelion. Just, just a little, ordinary, everyday dandelion. 
And he looked at it, and he realized, that's, that's beautiful. This, it was a signal of transcendence that the beauty of something so simple was pointing him beyond what he could see. Where does that beauty come from? What is it talking about? What is it speaking about? He saw through it. Signal of transcendence. Roger Scruton, uh, the late Roger Scruton, said, the experience of beauty is calling us to the divine. The experience of beauty is calling us to a source of beauty. What is it? We look down at dandelions. We look up into the night sky. And if you look long enough and through big enough telescopes, a beauty is revealed that is awesome. What is that there for? And what's it revealing? Have you looked through it? Have you thought through it? Perhaps it's life. Again, the more we understand the mechanics of life, don't let that make, make opaque what, what life is. It's a manifestation of something. What is life? It's more than biological mechanics. Perhaps it's consciousness. We're aware more than anything of our... In fact, that's what we have first person awareness of. It's our, our consciousness, awareness of, our, of ourselves. Everything else is secondary. And yet it's the thing that we know least about. It is a complete mystery. I'm grateful that some people know how to turn it on and off. I'm, you know, I'm not dismissing that. Please knock me out if you need to, uh, to do anything uh, painful. But we have no idea what this thing consciousness is. What is it? Where does it come from? Perhaps it's morality. There's a lot of talk these days about justice. Rightly so. But for there to be a right and wrong, what is the basis of that? What makes it more than just opinion? What turns and an is into an ought? Have you thought about that? Have you seen through what we can see to what we can't see? Perhaps it's love. Paul talks about poets here. We have poets. Our poets are kind of popular musicians, aren't they? So... I had the joy of uh, just listening to the top, well, I only got as far as the top five um, yesterday. I thought, what are they about? I bet I know what they're going to be about. I bet I've, I haven't listened to them for, for a few years, but I bet I know. The first one's about relational disconnect. Okay, I don't think he mentions love specifically, but it is relational disconnect. The second one, predictably, is about sex, which, of course, is, if only people knew it, deeply related to, to love. The third one laments, I don't know if I can love again. The fourth one, I did spend quite a lot of time on because it's, it's um, very interesting um, study. Uh, you've got these two songs going on, that this rap going on, quite a clever rap kind of in the, for, in the foreground. And it's, there's, a, there's an edge to it, as, as you would, I might imagine. There's a kind of a... Uh, uh, a darkness to it, and yet in the, in the background, there's another song that's happening. No, I wasn't going to rap. There's another song going on, the kind of a, a, a sweeter song. You, you, do you know what? You've, you've listened to this, haven't you? It, it kind of reverses into it. It's like it backs into the song. They play it in reverse, this, this other song. It's a Frank Sinatra song. And then it, it forms the melody, it, it kind of hums its way through the through the kind of the harsh uh, rapping lyrics. And then it's left at the end to play on its own. Fill my heart with song and let me sing forevermore. You are all I long for, all I worship and adore. In other words, please be true. In other words, I love you. We know how important love is. We sing about it. Oh, the last one, number five. I mean, 
it just says, I want to love you. Fine. Okay. They're, they're, it said, probably says a lot better than that, but I was running out of time, and I thought I'd better get back to the Bible. I just wanted to just, yeah, it's there. Love, it's all over the place. Every song is about love, because we know how important it is. There was this one lady, and um, she was an atheist. And you know, it's, everything's just molecules in motion. It's just, just matter and energy. That's, that's all we are. Then she had a baby. And she looked down at her baby. She said, that isn't true. The, the love that I have, for, um, this is not, my baby is not just molecules. The love that I experience for my baby is not just chemical reactions from a bunch of molecules that I have. There's something more here. She saw through love to something else. On his deathbed, Jean Valjean in uh, Les Miserables sings this. I don't don't think it was um, in the original, but it says, to love another person is to see the face of God. There's something about love. I wouldn't put it like that, but they're trying to express something. There's something about love that makes us see beyond it to something else. What is the basis of that? Where is that coming from? There's something transcendent about love. In the Big Bang Theory, Raj says that love is an acknowledgement of a mystery that's greater than ourselves. This, this, if you've experienced love, you know it's something more than molecules in motion. I'll just do a couple more of these. Perhaps it's meaning and purpose. Perhaps like me, you had that moment of epiphany. I used to get up every day and do whatever I wanted. And suddenly I realized, I can't make up the meaning of my life. That's crazy. You just can't make something up like that, like meaning. So where does the meaning of my life come from? Because I know it must have meaning. Or maybe finally it's a miracle. Maybe you you know that this wonderful world works by, uh, it's described by all kinds of wonderful regular laws. And maybe something broke in, maybe someone broke in, and you saw something that wasn't the kind of the everyday running of these laws. And a miracle happened, and it allowed you to see a chink of light, a ray of light through the material to something else behind these things give us momentary glimpses beyond the creation to our creator. And Paul had said in, in Lystra, he said, God has not left himself without witness in this world, and he hasn't. It's all over the place, and it's everywhere. And, God, and Paul wants to introduce them and us to the God that they don't know. They, they know there's something more, and perhaps you're sitting here, and you know there's something more. Well, Paul wants to introduce us to this God, not arguing from what they can see to what they can't see, yet what is knowable? He tells them about a God who is the creator of all things. He is the God, he says, who made the world and everything in it. And they would have gone, oh, I'm sure it must have come from somewhere. This is all our gods, they're created. They're kind of, I don't know where they came from, but someone, they got kind of fathers themselves. Now Paul is talking about a God who has always existed and made everything, brought everything into being. This is the God whose beauty is revealed in creation, who put the stars in place to declare his glory. Glory, another name for the, a, a manifestation, an, an outshining of invisible excellency, bursting into, into light in this world. We see the beauty because it's, it's expressing something about the creator. And of course, supremely, all things were made through Jesus. Of course, supremely, the glory of God is seen in Jesus Paul's not talking about just some vague God. He's naming him. This is a God revealed in the person of Jesus. He's talking to them about Jesus, through whom all things were made, who fully reveals God. This is the God, he says, who gives life and breath to everyone. 
This life is not just Lego bricks stuck together. It's, it's expressing the life of God who is the source of life. And Jesus, it's been given to him to have life in itself so that we could come to him and have the fullness of life. Paul, this is the God that Paul is proclaiming, the God of the resurrection, the God of eternal life, not just molecular life. This is the God in whom we uh, have life and breath and everything else. In him we live and move. And we are beings, not blobs, because of this God. We're made in his image. That's why we're aware. That's, why, that's where consciousness comes from. It's because we have a, a God who is a being and who is aware. And we're made to be like him. This God is the source of morality. This, he has set a day when he will judge the earth. He will judge according to what is right. You can't have right and wrong unless you have a judge, unless you have ultimate consequence for the things that you have done. And you need to know, maybe someone's told you, but you need to know that there are consequences for doing things wrong because there is a judge. And who is he set to judge the earth? It's Jesus. Jesus will come again and he will judge according to what we have done. And that should be a scary thought. It was a scary thought for me. What do I do knowing that I've done things that are wrong? How can I make this right? Because morality is real. When I became a Christian, a big part of that was realizing I've done things wrong. And I knew that that was real. I knew morality was real and I knew I'd fallen short of it. And I had a problem. I'm thankful that someone revealed to me that God who solved that problem in the person of Jesus. You see, God is love. That's why God, that's why love is so, so tangible in, in touching something beyond the everyday. It's, it's, it's God is love. That's where it comes from. That's why it's calling us to the divine, every expression of true love. And this is a God, Paul says, he doesn't need anything from us. All the other gods, give us this, give us that. This isn't the God who came to take this is the God who is love, who came to give, to give himself, to give that which was most precious to him, to give his son, to die for us on a cross. Us, who were not friends of God, but who were enemies of God, who had done wrong, and who, were, who deserved judgment. And yet this God of love came, and in the person of Jesus died the death that we deserved, so that we could be forgiven. This is love. This is what every expression of love and experience of love points to. It, it's touching something, calling us to the divine. Calling us to the Lord Jesus to come to him to find forgiveness. This is the gospel. This is the message that the disciples had. This is the God who gives us purpose and meaning to our lives. Look what Paul says. He says, he's made everyone. He's made you. He made every nation. Why did he do that? Why did he make you? Why are you alive? Why did you exist? God made you so that you might seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not very far from any one of us. That's the meaning of your life right there, that you would know God, that you would seek him and that you would find him, because he has made himself knowable in the person of Jesus. And you can make up all the meaning that you like. You can dream stuff up when you wake up tomorrow morning. What shall I do today? What's the meaning of my life? And of course, all these other things are important to us, and we give ourselves them in various ways. But they're not the meaning of your life. The meaning of our life is built upon a foundation of those things that we may know God 
and in knowing him, glorify him in our joy and our satisfaction in him as we follow him. This is the meaning of our life, that we'd find God through Jesus. This is the God who Paul proclaimed to them, the God they didn't know, but the God that wants to be known and has made himself knowable, given us a name, Jesus, by which we may be saved. And finally, here, he's given proof of this to everyone by raising Jesus from the dead. He hasn't left it all beyond out of sight and you kind of have to follow the dots. It's there to see, I tell you, it's there to see. But he goes a step further and he raises Jesus from the dead. He makes sure he's as dead as dead can be. And everyone's seen him and they buried him. And then he basically, he eats breakfast with them. He gets them to touch him. And they record it for us. There's this miracle that has happened before everybody. He's raised Jesus from the dead. Showing him to be the God who, has, who is behind all these other things. It's a massive moment of supernatural transcendence as Jesus is raised from the, de- the dead. There's life beyond the grave breaking into our life now. This Jesus, Paul proclaimed to them, he's the one that lifted the plague of sin and death from us. We, perhaps you've tried everything else. Perhaps you've tried kind of trying to... Um, I don't know, to live longer in some way or to find meaning in some way or to find satisfaction and purpose in various ways. It's just not working for you. Perhaps you've tried to get rid of this sense of guilt and shame and whatever it might be, and it's not worked. Well, Jesus came, Jesus was sent to lift the plague of sin and death from us. And on the cross, he did that. He overcame sin and death so that through faith in him, we might be free. We might know freedom. We're going to break bread now together. Actually, the baron would like to come back. We, we don't have an altar uh, in, as, as Christians. You're a Christian. We don't have an altar. We don't have an unknown God. He's revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. What we have is a cross where Jesus revealed God to us, what God was like to us. And when we break bread, we, we're not coming to an altar. We are reminding ourselves, actually in a sense, of an empty altar where God revealed himself to you and dealt fully with our sin and our shame. We're not a place where we offered up something to this God. The cross is a place where this God came and offered himself up for us. What, what kind of a, a, an altar is this? What kind of a sacrifice is this? It's a glorious one. It, it makes known this God that was invisible in many ways. We could have told lots of things about God, and I believe you can see a lot of things about God by looking around, but you would never have gone this far. You would never, and no one would have dreamed up this, that this God who was the basis of meaning and purpose and goodness and life himself would have come and taken our sin upon himself and would have offered himself up to death. No one would have dreamt this, but this is true. This is the revelation of God that has come to us on the cross. And as we take the bread and the wine together, we remember that. And think about all those boxes as you're coming up to the table in just a moment. All those boxes, many important and right, they should have a a presence in our life. But what is underneath them all? What what is the big G God that is the foundation of your life, whom you live for, who is the source of life and meaning? and forgiveness, and purpose, and hope, and glory. 
Put, put him there. Put him there. Put him in his rightful place. Remind ourselves the revelation that has come to us on the cross of who Jesus is. But maybe you're not a Christian this morning, and I want to just offer you a... There's only a, only a few of these. I had a conversation a while back with a, number, with, a, with a few different people, and out of that conversation came a book. And it was really a conversation where people were saying, there's, there's no God, there's no evidence for God, you can't see that there's a God. It's all just kind of make-believe and wishful thinking. And it seemed to me, wherever I looked, like there's just loads of evidence, because he's not left himself without witness. And so I wrote some of those things down. And so if you're thinking this morning, I just don't see any of this, or maybe you're beginning to see, I, I think I need to think about that a little bit more. I think I need to look through what I can see to, to infer what I can't see. I think I need to think about what I know because perhaps there's something I don't know. If, if that's you and you're not a Christian, then we're going to give you a complimentary copy of, of this. We'll put like, just a couple of copies out on the back there. And really, it's written for you that you would go away and that you would have a think and you would have a look. And is... Is there a God that this God who you've heard proclaimed to you has not left himself without witness? And maybe, and our prayer is that as, as you think about it and look around and think about love and think about meaning and think about this amazing world that we live in and think about yourself and think about maybe miracles, that you would think maybe there's something more and that you would seek God, that you would reach out for him, and that you would find him, because that is what you're on this planet, that is what you're brought into being to do. So I'm going to pray in just a moment, and then we're going to, the, the band will play, and hey, we can move, this is the first time we can move, I think, and some might want to kind of, I don't know, um, we've, we've got little individual things, so you do whatever you feel comfortable with, but this is an opportunity for some to kind of to move and to come to this remembrance, this reminder of this God who's been revealed to us in the person of Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, then feel free to, to stay where you are and enjoy the, the, the song, the worship, or maybe go to the back and pick up one of these books and have a flick through. Just think, is this going to be helpful for me as I think this through? Father God, I do thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in the person of Jesus. You've not just left us to kind of work it out from what we can see, though you've left plenty of evidence but you came in Jesus and you revealed who you were and what a, what a God what a God we wouldn't have dreamt anything like this you the one who, who is good no one is good but you you're the basis of goodness and yet you took our sin upon yourself you're the author of life and yet you experienced our death, not just death of the physical body, but death of the soul, separation. This is, this is an amazing thing. You rose to life because it's impossible for death to keep its hold on you. And you offer yourself, you say, believe in me, trust in me, and have your life in me. And we can enjoy your relationship with the Father. We can know the life that you have. And God, it's our prayer that as we do so, we might in some small way, reveal your glory to others. Shine out in this dark world, something of your goodness and your grace. That this message that kind of went from Jerusalem to Antioch and around the Aegean Sea, we know it kind of went out into the whole earth and yet so many dark spots still there, even in our city. We say, God, would you pour out your spirit on us as we even remember right now this God who's been revealed to us in the person of Jesus. Lord, would you fill us full of your spirit 
to be swept out of here too, to share this glorious, glorious message that those who don't know you would know you. Lord, that's our prayer, that's our desire, and I know that's your, your heart's desire too. So the band are going to play. Do come up, take uh, bread and wine here. We'll move that table out at the, at the back as well, and uh, do pick up one of these books. if you, Or you can come and chat to me at the end as well if you want to chat a bit more about anything that I've said. Bless you. Let's take bread and wine together.